Hey everybody, welcome to episode five of the Mountain Bike Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Lee, with my co-host, Stephen Lewis. Hello. And uh, we have another special guest this week. He's from Reno. You've probably read his stuff before under the name, The Angry Single Speeder. What's up, Kurt? How you doing? Hello, how are you? Doing well, man. All right, Kurt Gensheimer, right? Kurt Gensheimer, that's right. Yeah. Is that um, German? Uh, Japanese. Okay. <laughs> Sounds really Japanese. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds about right. Uh, Kurt, if you guys haven't read his stuff, um, a lot on MTBR and bike mag, I mean, uh, in a lot of places, uh, what, how would you define what you do, I guess, to give people kind of an introduction? I am a writer and a rider. So I write, I write about riding, writer, rider, writer, rider. Good. <laughs> That's it. That's what I do. I mean, I, I, you know, I'm a freelance, uh, journalist and copywriter i have clients like in and outside the bike industry but the past few years i've been more and more just focused on doing stuff in the bike industry because that's what i love to do and great people and and it's fun yeah Yeah. and you do a good job of it too um by the way so thank you pat on the back um yeah I, i love your stuff you're you're known for being outspoken and i think a lot of people at first genuinely thought that you were an angry single speeder that only owned a single speed, but that's not true, right? Uh, well, it, he's angry. Some maybe. of my friends who ride single speeds <laughs> with me, they, they've heard more than a few curse words <laughs> echoing through the forest. So sure. I can get angry, but generally not. Yeah. 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 Kurt's a good guy. Um, if you ever see him, he wears a disco ball as a helmet at times. If you ever see him at any events, uh, he's a nice dude. You should hand him a beer and, and say hi. I'm sure he would be happy. So, speaking of beer, yeah, hold on. He's got some Dale's uh, Pale Ale, which they you hear that they're they're um they're a company that supports mountain biking. Are not, they not only do they support it, but they're Reeb Cycles, dude. That yeah, they are. Oscar Blues Brewing. Yeah, Oscar they make Blues. the founder of the company also has Reeb Cycles, and they make some beautiful custom tie. Tie frames. They're they're hand built, unbelievably gorgeous. awesome bikes. Man. I think they um, make bike a porn. fat bike that I've seen. The Badonka Donk. Yeah, it's <laughs> a great name for and one. In fact, the that. first titanium Badonka It's a thing about a bike. God, therefore, Steven like yeah. knows. Just a well, wellspring of knowledge. Man. The only reason yes. I know that is the first titanium Badonka Donk they did actually came to Reno to a friend of ours, John Sagabiel. So, oh, cool. oh, all right. yeah. Huh. Yep. So that's cool. That's how I knew about that. So yeah. nice. Not that much of a nerd. Um, and and one thing you you don't just own a single speed bike. What's your uh, favorite bike? I mean, you have a number of them. Yeah, to be to full disclosure, this year didn't do that much single speeding. Um, <laughs> I did the Carson City off road single speed, but bad race. We've talked about it before. Yeah, yeah. But most of the season, I've the summer I spent up in Downeyville, and you know I've raced the classic so many times on a single speed, and like now that I ride up there a lot. It's just not the most friendly means of getting around up there. It's just, you need gears. Yeah. It's, yeah. I'm not, you know, there's some single speeders out there who are just diehard single speed, like it's single speed or nothing. Yeah. And it's not, I mean, it's a tool in the box. I use it, you know, just as much as I would use a geared bike in a lot of situations, depending on the terrain. Yeah. I think you you've know? told me many times there's a tool for every job. There you go. Yeah. It's, it's very much the case. Um, and what, what bike is your favorite right now? Like if you had to pull one out and just go ride on an average trail. Um, so like here in Reno, we have, our trails are pretty buff here in Reno. They're not really technical or anything like that. This, the surface is kind of technical because it's like a sugar cookie that's been in the oven for too long. And right when you think you have traction, you don't. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but, oh, yeah. Uh, so that makes it a little tricky, but it's not like, not a whole lot of chunder uh, right in Reno. 
Um, what would you ride on those type of trails if you could grab one bike out of your garage? Or um, I, I gotta say, I really like the Trek stash. I've had that bike that now. Plus bike? Yeah. 20 for a year, plus. A little more than a year. And it's just so versatile. You can do so much with it. Yeah. Um, up until recently, the only limitation was the, the tires, right? There there was very limited um, options for 29 plus tires. But now there's, you know, you got all those new Maxxis tires out, the Surly Dirt Wizard. I mean, these are like Downeyville durability style tires wow. that are, you can like, beat on them hard and they won't put, you know, you won't put a giant hole in them right away. But they're also not 1500 grams at the same time. Correct. Oh, Oh, the dirt wizards, at least 1500. Oh. It's a heavy tire. Oh. It's a heavy. Yeah. It's a tractor. I mean, you're tire. not going to get It's you know, yeah. to make, to survive, um, up and up and down evil, you got to have a heavy tire here in Reno. You can get away with the Chupacabra. You know, that's a great tire. Nice. Um, and I just like that bike cause it's very versatile. You can put, you know, regular 29 inch wheels on it. You can put the plus tires on it. You can run as a single speed. You can run as a geared bike. Um, it's just a super fun and it's not expensive. Like relatively speaking, the aluminum frame, you know, you can get one of those for less than two grand fully built. Right. And it's, it's a hard just, tail. It's a hard tail. Yeah. And so for like adventure riding too, right. It, the plus tires, um, like we'll talk about the Toyabe more, but I rode that the Trek stash on that ride in Nevada that we did this summer. And it was the perfect bike for that because it's simple, right? It's a hard tail. Yep. There's nothing like complicated in the rear end to deal with. If you're in the middle of nowhere, nothing to fail. And it'll it probably takes a lot of the sting out of the trail too. Oh, like, big time. And when you're talking about yeah. all day rides, um, people oh, yeah. discount how important that is. Yep. It's just taking off a little bit of that edge, you know, like, especially so like on the XC side of things or even the road side of things, you see a lot of road riders. Now they're getting 26 C, 28 C, 30 C tires. And that's even, yeah. which is a shock to even see it in the pro Peloton because the pro Peloton for all of those that don't know is usually like 15 years behind any sort of actual yep. sound logic or science. They're always one seat. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But they, they've been doing that and dude, it makes such a difference. I, I did the, um, I did an Everesting ride in LA and it was 222 miles long. It was a long day, a whole 24 hours pretty much on the bike. And we climbed 32,000 feet. And I went with Schwalbe's, um, Schwalbe one, the pro one tubeless. Pro one tubeless, 28 C's. 28 C's. And they're a little fatter than a normal 28. They're a little chubby. And those things, it was absolutely incredible what that small difference made Mm -hmm. over the whole day. So when you're talking about a plus tire, on a trail, it really is going to make a pretty big difference. Big time. Yeah. 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 That's a, that's a, I I think that that's something also a lot of people don't consider a hard tail. And last year I rode a hard tail the whole year. It was great for me because I come from a moto background. I'm not like the normal moto guy that just thinks you can run into every rock and you're okay. Um, I'm very choosy on my lines. So, but it still helped me a lot on refining my technique, but they are so much fun to ride too. You get instant feedback out of that bike. Yep. When you press into that bike going into anything, it gives it all that energy right back. You know, nothing's lost. So hardtails are pretty cool. I get that. It's I, the only bike in, and if anybody familiar with the Lakes Basin, which is above Downeyville, some of the most technical riding anywhere in the country, mm-hmm. that stash it's like a rock crawler bike. It'll go up anything. You just point it and accelerate. And with the giant tires, 
there's stuff I can get up on the Stash Hardtail that I can't get up on a Ripley, which, you know, is a full suspension bike. Wow. It just, the tires are so massive that it fills in the gaps and holes that most other bikes are going to get stuck in. You get great traction too. Amazing traction. And then your yeah. BB, your bottom bracket's probably slightly higher on that bike because of um, the bus tires? Well, like effective no. BB, I should say? No, actually, well, the BB is actually a little higher because I usually run, I was running a, that Supermax lefty on it for a mm. little while, which is it's total Franken bike, right? <laughs> yeah. Elevated drive side chainstay with a lefty fork. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and it was a 140, right? And it's normally supposed to only run a, like a one 100 um, or a 110. Yeah. So it the, the bottom bracket was several probably 15 millimeters higher. I don't know, something like that. Yeah. Um, but, but probably made clearance great any... on rocky sections. Oh, yeah, you never had pedal strength. <laughs> yeah. Never. Yeah. yeah, that's pretty cool. Well, cool. Uh, we're glad to have you here, man. We're going to go over a bunch of stuff. Uh, but first, for those of you that are listening, thank you. We've been growing more rapidly than I thought. So I, I started uh, the Trainer Road podcast with the guys there at Trainer Road. That's what I do during the day, my day job. And uh, I started that one out, and it's actually really, really big now. We have hundreds of thousands of people that listen to that thing every month, and and this is actually starting out at the same rate. So pretty exciting stuff. So thanks for listening. Uh, thanks for sharing it too. Please keep sharing this. Let your friends know that there's actually a good mountain bike podcast out there. Uh, hopefully it's good. And if it's not good, let us know, and we'll make it better. That's what we want to do. Um, and also thanks for leaving reviews it iTunes is weird. It kind of trickles them out, but one of them, uh, a guy from it's Johnny from Wisconsin. You say, I love it. Great pot, great podcast for MT, MTB guys and gals. Greetings from Wisconsin, us army active duty guy. So thanks for your service. First yes. of all, Johnny, pretty rad. Definitely. Yeah. And, uh, thanks for listening. Uh, the barber rich says, guys, if you love to ride your mountain bike and I assume he means gals too. Uh, you need to be listening to this podcast and run a social media repost marketing page. Then attention to detail, de attention to detail is key. These guys share that. Super fun to listen to, and I always walk away feeling more educated than before. Five stars all day, 100%. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. And then uh, weird name. That's actually the name. So they typed in weird name. Literally. Literally, yeah. Uh, they say, <laughs> uh, this podcast brings fantastic insight to the industry's latest news and products. If you like Yeti, bonus points for you. <laughs> Enjoy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's going to happen. Huh. We can drink tonight every time that Yeti is. <laughs> oh, that's right. We can. That's right. Yep. Um, I've got water and a recovery drink. How, how Euro XE nerd am I? I just finished a workout on the trainer. <laughs> we'll break you in. And I've got water and a recovery drink, and you guys are. You can imagine it's back. vodka. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, all right. So, yeah, thanks for your reviews. Keep leaving them. Uh, you can leave them on iTunes. You can leave them all over the place. Um, Stitcher, Google Play, SoundCloud, um, SoundCloud. You can even drop us comments on SoundCloud, and you can send questions to the podcast. Just go to mtbpodcast.com. That's where you can find links for everything on there. Just mtbpodcast.com. And I noticed, just I'm going to interrupt you right now. Yeah. The Facebook tile on our website goes to your personal Facebook page. Does it? Yeah, that's pretty so, cool of you. That's not great. <laughs> <laughs> so there's there's some weird things with. Facebook, sometimes when you try to set something up so that it links, like for example, on SoundCloud, 
if I were to try to push from on SoundCloud when we publish an episode and try to push that to Facebook, it pushes to my personal profile, even though I've selected one of the pages I've created, which is the mountain bike podcast page. In other words, either Facebook, I think Facebook sucks. We can just agree there. Okay. So I think that's what it's kind of going the way of MySpace. Remember MySpace? <laughs> it really is. Oh my gosh. Or they Friendster. <laughs> I don't even remember <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. That wasn't even me. That was the, way. They, yeah, no. yeah. they say that when your grandma is on a social network that that's when you move off type of a thing. And yeah. I, th- I think that that happened a while ago. Oh yeah. Facebook. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Luckily most adults still don't understand what Instagram is. So we're still good. We're <laughs> still good. Yeah. At least for now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, for now. Uh, but let's move into some questions. Uh, Shannon says training question and there are a few XC training, training questions, but I want everyone that isn't an XC guy Think outside the box. We're going to isolate some principles that could be beneficial, even if you're just a lifted downhill guy. That's nerd all you do. things. So, yes, nerd things are about to come. <laughs> Training question, specifically trainer. I heard you talk about trainer intervals and saving the ride for the ride, and I like the idea. I currently run an Ardent on the rear of my geared bike and a Bontrager XR1 on the rear of my single speed, which that's kind of, for those that don't know, it's like a Kenda small block or specialized Renegade. And uh, Maxis Icon, I guess, would be more gnarly than this. Almost like a Thunderbird. Yeah, like yeah. A, yep, yeah, like a Thunderbird. Um, so it's a it's a small treaded uh, XC tire. Uh, what is the best or easiest way to utilize a trainer in this situation? I'm thinking use the single speed um, uh, Bontrager XR1. Forgive me. And adding resistance to the trainer is what I'm thinking about. Also, without breaking the bank, what trainer would you recommend? Love what's happening on the podcast. Five stars, Shannon. Okay, can I answer the tire and you answer the trainer? Let's do it. Okay. Go. Tire. If it's a 29-inch bike, just put a trainer tire on it. 700C. A 700C trainer tire and be done with it. Your XR1 is going to get destroyed in about 30 minutes. Also, anybody within a mile radius of you, their ears will bleed. Yeah. So, and your house will probably crack its foundation or something because <laughs> yeah. it's going to create a lot of ruckus. It does. So don't do that. And also, rubber, it, it will, it can tear knobs off your tire and wear them down really quick. So if you're on carpet, you'll have a nice little black line left on that carpet. Yeah, so don't do that. Great. Put a trainer tire on it, be done. They even make 27.5 and 26-inch slick trainer tires now as yeah. well. I can't think of many of the brands. I think Continental has a trainer tire in all mm-hmm. sizes. The one thing you'll want to think about with that is rim width. If you have wide rims on your bike, then you might want to try to find like a 30C road tire or something like that. Or Surface Surface also makes, um, I think they call it the Drifter tire, and they make it in a a one and a half inch, so 26, 27.5, and 29 by one and a half, and that works decent as a trainer tire if you have to and you you have a wider rim. Good call. Um, the other, so in terms of the trainer, what I would recommend, and this can change things slightly on the tire recommendation, um, I would recommend using rollers. And I know that sounds a lot of people don't like rollers. You get used to them, and they're they're really easy to ride. It's nothing uh-huh. like riding on the road or on the trail. Nothing like it. Yeah, but then you'd have to add a different tire on the front. Perhaps, or you just run your knobs. Uh, so there are a lot of trainer or rollers that are plastic drums. And uh, so like Tax is a company, T-A-C-X, Elite. Cyclops has aluminum drums. That'll be really loud. But if you go with the other ones uh, like Tax or Elite, they have plastic drums that are quiet. So I have an Ardent Race front and an Ardent Race rear on mine, which is smaller knobs in the Ardent, uh, closer together, more knobs, so it's not as big of a gap. But And I ride them on rollers, and it's really not bad. And that's your warm-up setup for races. Yep, yeah, that's my warm-up oh, okay. setup. 
Yeah, nice. it's not too bad. So um, that's one option that you can do. Uh, the other option that I would say is actually look at a wheel off trainer. And then you get into, I know, the mess of dealing with like you're through talking axles about through axles and, yeah. and rear end width standards that are always a pain. Um, but if you can get like a, like elite has, I think it's called the Kura K U R A. It's a cheap, it's a relatively cheap wheel off trainer. So you just take your wheel off and put your bike on there and then you can use that. If you're going to go with a wheel on one, I have a hard time recommending anything other than the kinetic road machine. That's actually what I have. It's, uh, the, if you look at, if you were to graph the resistance of that trainer, it's consistent where a lot of trainers actually fluctuate as it goes up in speed, which is a pain because that's why it doesn't feel anything remotely close to what it feels like when you pedal, when you're just riding down the road. Yeah. So that one's really good. Um, smart trainers are a different deal, but to be honest, uh, smart trainers are not necessarily better. If you're doing something like, I mean, if you're trying to do a virtual world thing, which I simply do not get, um, but if you're trying to do that, then sure. But otherwise there's, you can ch shift and change gears just fine and save a whole lot of money. So, I, I have access to every smart trainer made and I don't ride them. So I just ride rollers. There you go. So yeah, Kurt, any, any indoor training tips? I rode rollers for a long time and nothing helps more to build both fitness and your bike handling skills than yeah. riding rollers. When you can ride the rollers no handed, you got decent bike handling. You're skills, dialed. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I, I would, and, and you got to be paying attention. Yes. Right? You got to be focused. You can't just like daydream and you're <laughs> yeah. gonna fall off the rollers. So I was always, I had a set of those nice Kreitler rollers Kreitlers. back in the day. Yeah. Those are nice, man. Yep. So in the fact, miles on those. you can find a guy with Kreitler rollers from like 20 years ago and they're still solid. They oh, set yeah. new bands on. No, they were lifetime. Yeah. yeah. Those were lifetime. They were highly high quality hand, like made in America. They're well made. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I don't ride rollers. I don't ride trainers anymore. You just ski when you can't yeah, ride if, a bike. Yeah, if the weather's bad, I'm just going to do something. I'm just... Yeah. I did that. It's cool, but my days doing rollers and trainers are over. Yeah. <laughs> well, someday I'll get Kurt over to Trainer Road. He'll, he'll, he'll see the light. <laughs> he'll have some race that he actually wants to like really do well at. And then we'll show. Him I'll just go Rocky style. Just like <laughs> go ride, run, run to the top of Peavine in a snowstorm with a giant <laughs> yeah. log on my shoulders, man. While yeah. eating raw eggs. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you may have not, you may have not heard, Kurt, but we talked about the trainer and how. I think that the reason that we think it sucks is because we always think of it as like a, a plan B for bad weather. And the straight fact is, there's no good plan B for bad weather. You'll always wish that you were outside, you know. Sure. Yep. But I think that what the rollers and trainer are best for, like you said, is there's no better way to refine, you know, to get faster. And then you also mentioned the riding techniques out of two, refining your pedal stroke. Yeah. You really are forced to do it on rollers, but there's no better way to get in a structured workout, you know, especially yeah, like, you know, quality. Wanna... it's quality. It's an hour, yeah. two hours of very high quality. I mean, it would match right doing a high quality four hour ride on the road. So. Exactly. Yeah. <clears throat> and you don't want to be that guy on the trail that's like out of my way guy that's coming the other way on the trail because i'm doing an interval like you should never be that person so you know, definitely you, not yeah you don't want to ruin somebody's somebody your else's intervals in your living room <clears throat> yeah and then go shred outside exactly and be kind 
when you shred. So, Anchor, <clears throat> I think we know this Anchor fella. It, I, it has to be Anchor. <laughs> there aren't many people named Anchor. <clears throat> Forgive me. Uh, Anchor is the, the team manager, correct? Former team manager of former, the Marin Rabobank team. Former team manager of the Marin Rabobank team. Really good guy. Uh, <clears throat> he says, number one, this will be my third season racing. I race expert class. Preparing for this season, and how old is Anchor, roughly, so we can give some point of reference. Sorry, Anchor. He's in his mid to late 40s, I'd say. And he's built like you. He's like a tank. He is a tank. He's like an anchor. So um, he says... Spelled different. Yeah, true. (laughs) About halfway through the season, the races started to feel like another job. Forgive me, i got to step back. He says, preparing for the season gets me fired up to race, and part of that is to reconnect with friends. <clears throat> about halfway through the season, the races start to feel like another job. I can relate to that. We all can. I think we all can, right? <clears throat> uh, he says, training and traveling becomes a chore. Most of us aren't pros. How do you guys suggest keeping the preseason high going all year? Okay. Yeah. 2014, Kurt and I actually, how we really started becoming friends was Kurt and I spent a lot of time um, going to the races together. And I think, uh, keeping it, you know, we were both expert, you were expert 35 plus and I was expert nine, whatever, 19 to 34. And I think, uh, changing how you travel to the different events, who you go with, who you, you know, like when we go to China peak, we were camping, you know, you bring your, uh, your hammock. And I love that idea. And that's how I, I have a hammock now too. And that's what we do, you know, for camping is I'll just camp in a hammock if I'm by myself. And, uh, so just doing different things, you know, when we went to kamikaze games, um, this will get into the, you know, the expenses part of it is traveling with Kurt usually is cheap. Um, <laughs> either cause I'm in my hammock or somebody hooked me up with a commentation. <laughs> exactly. So, but just, uh, trying to just, you know, make it so that it's not the same thing over and over again, every single weekend, just trying to, you know, change it up a little bit, whether it be your accommodations, you know, what you do for food, um, not necessarily how you train, but. You know, there's, there's lots of ways to keep it new throughout the season, I think. Yeah, but at the you, end, you all get worn out, especially CES is such a long series. Mm. You know, it's seven months start to finish. What, what have you done, Kurt, to keep the fire going? Because um, this also applies to maybe not too racing, much. too. This, this, might not, this might apply to guys that are just, like, stoked to ride. Season starts and it starts to fade. You know, yeah. not even racers. I think the number one thing, honestly, is focusing on good quality events. Mm. That's cute. Right? Yeah. You don't do too many. Yeah. Like I've gotten to the point now. I mean, I was, you know, when I was younger, I would do every local race there was. And, and yeah, you get burned out after the 10th, 12th event in three (laughs) months, but, and it starts to cost a lot of money. But if you just focus on like a handful of bigger events that have a reputation for being super fun and challenging and memorable. Yeah. Yeah. Like you guys talked about Epic Rides events, right? Events like that. Um, and the classic Downeyville classic and, and, um, what else, man? Like, See, like the, a stage race, like the Breck Epic or yes. like the Transylvania Epic. Like these are amazing. They're like what some people would consider like lifetime events, right? Something you got to do. Those are bucket list experiences. Bucket list, right? Yeah. And you get pumped. You're excited. You're like, I want to train for this cause it's going to be a, an incredible experience. Yeah. Um, and so I think. Choosing quality events is is one of the most important ways to stay pumped on the season. That's yeah. a good that's a good way of, of handling it for sure. One thing I would say, and this 
doesn't just relate to the training side of things, but govern your excitement to a certain degree too. Sometimes this is a lot, this goes hand in hand with what you said, Kurt, with kind of picking and choosing which events you do instead of just doing every event. Yeah. For example, we just had, there was a cross country race over the hill in Folsom, California, which is about two hours away from where we're at in Reno. There's an XC race already. Right. And there's already been like, I think two road races in our area. Yeah. And everyone in NorCal that's, you know, they're, they're, the biggest race of the year, in fact, is a, in our area for road racing is one called the Cal Aggie Criterium. And that thing goes from 5.30 in the morning until it's dark because there's so many racers that have to split things up. Two months later, they could hold that race and they would have like a handful of folks. Like everyone gets so excited for the season starting out and then they just race, 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 race and they exhaust themselves. Uh, physically, but also just they lose that motivation. and it's like it pacing yourself. Yeah, you know, I, I look at my whole year and I look at the events and, and even if I don't do events and I'm just looking to ride, I look at my whole year and I would try to think like, man, I'm really looking forward to riding this area at this time. I'm really looking forward to this trip. Yep. And I would just let myself build into things. Like yeah. instead of, now Anchor, in your situation, you are going to the races and you're going to be doing them. Just try to pick, if you do have a lot of races on the calendar, pick your key events that you really care about the most and then be okay with not caring about the other events quite as much, yeah. not getting quite as ramped up. It's okay to do that. And at those events, maybe you go and you focus more on just hanging out with friends or you focus on something unique about the experience, you know, but then mm -hmm. the ones that you really want to do well on and take seriously, the ones that might more feel a little bit more like a job, pick and choose and keep those ones a little more rare. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, even the top racers in the world do that. They don't try to stay at their peak level the whole year long. It always falls down. Uh, Brian, he says first. Oh, one thing though. Yeah, go ahead. Anchor mentioned. Oh yeah. This sport is expensive. Yes. What advice do you have for riders to cut down on expenses? This is a good one. Yes. Travel with Kurt. That's it's that easy. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, what, let's take it, Kurt. I go was going to say. There's a, there was a guy named Mountain Larry Hibbard. And Mountain Larry, he's from Santa Cruz. He was on the Yeti factory team in 1990 to 93. Drink? One of the, one, like, <laughs> serious. Oh, yeah, drink. That's right. Mm. Okay. Love that Dale's Pale Ale. But Mountain Larry, the, he got his nickname because he lived in the mountains. It, literally in a hammock. Ooh, and he wow. buried his possessions in the ground in buckets. So this wow. guy, he's never owned a car for more than 18 months in his entire life. He's pushing 60 years old now. But this guy would show up to the old CCCX races down at Fort Ord yeah. on like a 20-year-old Bridgestone that was like rattle canned. And he would wax everybody in the pro race. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't wow. matter. Your gear only matters to a certain point. Yeah. Yep. This guy, Mountain Larry, he only, all he did was ride his bike. He didn't own a vehicle. So he would ride to work. He would ride home from work. He would ride up to the mountains to his house, which was a hammock in the woods <laughs> up like above uh, Aptos. Yeah. And he just, he once rode to Mammoth from the Central Valley because he thought it was going to help him prepare for altitude for the the nationals at mammoth he rode over tioga pass like two days before the race didn't probably work didn't. out for him too well <laughs> yeah, in the race. Probably didn't work still, out too well. <laughs> he would ride to the events right it's pretty awesome and that's how he would destroy everyone because yeah. he was just putting in more miles it doesn't cost money to put in miles that's a good the point. gear only matters to a certain point and so don't get caught up in i gotta have the latest this and i gotta have the latest that mm -hmm. 
you just have a decent enough gear. It doesn't have to be the best. Totally true. And just put in the time. The time is what is the most valuable. I think I'm selling my Yeti and get a Bridgestone now. All Peru's Craigslist. <laughs> That's a really good point. And I think that it's something, Stephen and I, for example, people could accuse us of being gear whores. We are. Yeah, we, we definitely are. are. But you know what? We don't build up the bike because, oh, that's costing me X amount of time on the course, or that's costing me in this scenario. We build this stuff up because it's like Legos for us. We like building these things yeah, up. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, but it's not, and, but the, what you say, Anchor, is, is something that, every one of us is aware of. I mean, you look at these bikes and they are so expensive and then entry fees are constantly going up every year. It's, it's an expensive thing to do. Yeah. I, I honestly, I think that a great way for you to keep costs down is to look at the bike that you have and then try to keep it as simple as possible. We talked about the stash single earlier. Speed. Yeah, single speed maybe, but keep it simple. You might you don't have to have like a, a bike that's complex too. Not just we're talking about cost, but you can have a simple bike and it can get by. But then also combine resources with your friends. Like races are always better when you're there with your friends. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And that can help a bunch. So and and I'm not gonna speak for any event promoter in particular, but if you are in a situation where the costs are prohibitive and you say, Hey man, Hey promoter man or woman, I want to do this race. I can't, but I have five of my friends. We all want to do it. Who knows? They might even be willing to cut you some slack on that. It is mountain biking is a rare sport in that respect. So I think that it's leverage the community that you have too. You can save a lot of cost. Yeah. So. Yeah. And the expense part, um, Mountain biking really is no more expensive adjusted for inflation than it was in the early 90s. That's a good in point. In the early 90s, a top of the line, like Klein Attitude, you know, that was a rigid bike, right? Mm -hmm. With just, I mean, cantilever brakes. That was a $3,500 bike in $1990. <laughs> right? Today, that would probably be adjusted for inflation, eight or nine grand. Yeah. You can buy a pimp bike for eight or nine grand now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it really hasn't gotten much more expensive and it's gotten a lot better though. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the, the amount of bike you can get nowadays for the money and the quality and the technology and mountain biking is better than it's ever been. Yeah. Like, we were just talking about that Marin Hawk Hill. We've talked about that for a few episodes now, but that bike is like 1500 bucks for the new Hawk Hill trail <laughs> it's, bike. It's awesome. Yeah killer bike. So, so yeah, there are ways to do it for sure. Um, uh, Brian and first anchor says, love the podcast has a great flow to it. Keep having awesome guests like Amy Morrison on. She shreds. Yeah, she well, does. Kurt shreds too. So Kurt shreds too. We're good. <laughs> Not like Amy. <laughs> She's badass. <laughs> she is fast, man. Uh, first five stars in the fantastic podcast. This is from Brian. Y'all do an excellent job. And he says, sorry for the Texas accent. You don't need to apologize, man. Yeah, because I was listening to the Trainer Road podcast today, and I say y'all. someone was saying y'all on it yeah, there, so it, don't apologize. Yeah. yeah, I'm all for it. Yeah. I, 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 I lived down in South America for a while. I served a mission for my church down there. And that has what to do with Texas? And it has a lot to do with y'all. Like, uh -huh. they use y'all all the time. It's just translated. Yep. And when I got back to the States, I was like, screw anybody that yeah. judges me for saying y'all. It's just way easier. I don't want to say you guys to a bunch of females. It's, it's, you're, you're compounding syllables. Yeah, right? exactly. You all, y'all. Y'all. You're going from two to one. It's just efficient. It's more efficient. Yeah. 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 It's more efficient. So Brian says, I have a Trek 9.7 Fuel EX. I'm looking to lighten the bike up and I'm considering the wheels. 
I believe the wheels that come on the bike are around 2,300 grams, so quite heavy. But I love to go carbon. The price is quite high, and this bike is more for just trail riding anyways. I have a much lighter hardtail I use for, uh, use for any racing that I do. What are your recommendations on a good set of wheels that aren't going to cost me an arm and a leg? I've looked at building a set of WTB KOM I-29-29 rims. That was a mouthful and can build them up for around 600 bucks. Looking to have an internal width around 30 millimeters, give or take a few millimeters. Any other wheels I should look at? Also, what are y'all's feelings on the differences I would see going with carbon over aluminum or vice versa? Okay. Steven, you're ready. So I spent Steven a lot of has, time on this. Steven has notes. So first Get ready. All, yeah, I. the first thing that I look at is if he wants to build a set of wheels for 600 bucks and he's building them around the I-29 KOMs, I don't see how that's possible. Only because looking at the cost of like a basic set of DT Swiss 350 hubs, decent spokes and nipples, the rims, and 75 bucks to build each wheel, I see $750. Okay. So Still I don't know how he's going to do it. expensive yeah. wheel set. It's yeah. pretty, it's relatively affordable. So if he can do it for 600, that's a steal. Get it done. Yeah. Unless it's a garbage, you know, Dior hub or something like that, which isn't terrible, but it's a more cost-effective option than a DT Swiss. If you're going to build up wheels, though. Yeah. The next thing is WTB specifically on the KOMs, even though they're wider now, they're a light-duty rim. They're not meant to handle abuse. They're not meant to be for, you know, any heavier riders or aggressive riding. They will not last. And you can look at their website, their reviews Anybody who says they ride aggressively says that the wheel, those rims don't last. Hmm. So if you're not going to build, or if you want to build a set for a trail bike, that's going to last. I recommend you either go with the new frequency team. I 29, which is a little heavier hmm. or the ASIM I 29. Hmm. I like the ASIMs a lot better. I actually prototyped these rims before they were even available for production and I couldn't bend them. They're a little heavier than the KOMs. If, hold on. If Steven can't bend a rim. Yeah, that's true. They're made of iron. <laughs> <laughs> no, and they're only they're only about eighty grams heavier than the KOMs, and they're vastly stronger. And the cool thing mm. about the ASIM rims is they're set up to equalize the spoke angle between your non-drive side and drive side, so you actually get a wheel that's equally laterally stiff, that was left and right. Heavy bike nerded. I know, lots of bike nerdage, <laughs> but when, when you weigh two hundred plus pounds, these kind of things matter on a wheel. <laughs> Dude, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I would say that I would. Uh, in order, I would not do the KOMs unless you weigh 130 pounds and you're riding strictly cross country. But since this is your trail bike and you have a hardtail, I'm guessing it's going to be a little bit more aggressive riding that you're looking for. Yeah. So, so I would go with the ASIM I-29, get a decent set of spokes because what a lot of people don't understand is a set of straight gauge spokes versus like a double butted competition spoke or a from super DT comp Swiss. from DT Swiss. That's going to save a ton of rotating mass and they're actually stronger. Yeah. So, um, and a lot would, of the time you can get away with having a slightly less durable rim or one that is less, I guess, <clears throat> sacrifices a bit of strength if you have a really well built or built up set of wheels with good spokes. Exactly. Absolutely. Yep. Um, and then above and beyond that, the only other wheel that I can find that I would recommend, um, in that width is actually going to be DT Swiss's XM 1501 spline, the spline 129s. Mm -hmm. The only downside is they're a $1,200 wheel set. Yeah. Other than that, go with, you know, uh, go with carbon. Um, and for me personally, I'm on NVM 70 high volumes, great wheels. If I had to pay full retail on a set of wheels, I'd never do carbon. Yeah. No way. Yeah. yeah. That's the thing that I think a lot of people, uh, we over, they overestimate the effects of having a carbon wheel. I don't, I'm not sure what we th are expecting, but 
they're good. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But at the same time, I mean, look at top DH guys. They're they're not running them. It's yeah. very rare that you see that they're running them. Yeah. Um, if you look at top enduro guys, not a lot of them not are running them. Not running them. Not running them. Nope. Yeah. They're they're not, aluminum they can't ones. afford to blast a wheel on segment two. Exactly. Yeah. And if you look even at a lot of the top XC guys, in like you're talking like in the World Cups, even a lot of those guys are on aluminum rims. Yeah. It, so it carbon rims are great. They, you know, if they're well built, that's yeah. the key. Because with an aluminum wheel <clears throat> or rim, I'll say, uh, contrasting that from the wheel, there's some important, you're talking about different grades of aluminum. Yes. You're talking about the different shape of it. Sure. But with carbon, you're talking about the shape. You're talking about different grades of carbon, different grades of resin, how that resin is actually, um, how that resin sets. If it's, yeah, yeah if it's pre-preg and then how that actually sets, then you're talking about the layup, which yeah. makes the biggest difference with carbon yes. wheels across the, in the whole thing. Yeah. It's not just carbon fibers that are, you know, three K weave that little pattern that you see that's like fake yeah. on the stickers, you know? Yeah. It's not just that that all around and your 3k weave is really just for visual effect anyway totally you know, spoiler alert yeah that's really what it's for he wants to build a wheel set for 600 bucks carbon's not even in the. it's no, not it's in the not, picture not even with derbies or light bicycle rims and it's, not like it. no, like, it's not worth it no i would it. i would yeah. my 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 recommendation i've always had really good luck with stan's rims they're they're durable and they're light yeah and they're and you know not what? expensive and you don't feel bad about destroying a 69 dollar no, rim you if don't. you have to put a new flow ex yeah. rim on it yeah, they've even updated a lot of their newer rims to have some wider widths in them. Yeah, they too. got new wheels, new new hoops, and they're wider now. Yeah, yep. and their hubs have gotten a lot better, and they still use yep. standard off the shelf industrial bearings. That so would they're be easy my to rebuild. Pre built stands wheel set. There's, you can get into that for 600 bucks easy, and they're going to be durable and be great. lightweight. And they're enough. fairly lightweight, yeah. yeah. That was my, yeah. In fact, if you if you went for something like the Flow would probably be really good for his situation. If you wanted to go for something super light and go for a Crest, the Crests are light. I think Except like, Crests have a weight limit of 178 or 187. They have a low weight limit, yep. yeah. So, so I can't ride those. So yeah, pay attention to that. But that was going to be my recommendation is the Stan's wheels are, are solid, so... Um, and, and honestly, the carbon thing is overblown. Um, yeah, it really is. So, uh, yeah, Terry, uh, do you find that the RockShox RS1 is a fork that has less torsional twist strength? Second question, or actually, let's cover that one first. So I have an RS1. Kurt, you've ridden an RS1. One. You have one too. Uh, you've also ridden the Lauf. <laughs> we were laughing. Oh, wait, yeah, yeah. Tell me to laugh. Yeah. <laughs> um, I. Sorry to the guys at Lauf. I've ridden it once, and it was uh, it was like I, what I thought of was in gym class when they gave us a springboard. <laughs> That's all I could think of when I rode the bike, and my front tire never was settled <laughs> ever. It's like a pogo ball down it, the trail. Really man. bad. Yeah. Um, was it, so that was your experience. Too. Oh yeah. I yeah. I would I'd bounce myself into the weeds. Like I'd be coming <laughs> through a corner and hit some bumps, and all of a sudden I was like off the trail. I'm going. I can't ride this thing, man. No. Yeah. They had you do a product review on it, and didn't you actually email them before you published it? Oh, yeah. And you asked them, are you sure you want me to release it? No, this? I told them straight up. I'm like, I'm going to give an honest review on this, and this is the deal. Like, I just, it doesn't work. It doesn't work for me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, for certain applications, I think it does work. Yeah. What was funny like is after I, wrote the, well, after I wrote that review at uh, Sea Otter that spring, uh, I can't remember his name, but the guy who founded Lauf. He was there and he was like, Kurt, Kurt, it's great to see you. Uh, one of our riders won his class on our fork. I'm like, dude, Sea Otter, that's a good course for that fork actually. Great. Right. And he no with bumps? Thing as a bump. No, <laughs> there's not that many bumps on Sea Otter, it, yeah. but it'll take the edge off. 
and yeah. it's lightweight, right? Yeah. So I can see that. Like, yep. It, there's like a use for gravel it. bikes. Sure, it'd be good for a gravel bike. Yeah, but as far as the RS1, okay, this this less torsional twist strength thing. I'm wondering if Terry saw the video of someone <laughs> holding the, the video. front wheel in between their legs and then twisting the handlebars. Well, I think yeah, so. I okay. Think there's never a riding situation where that kind of thing yeah. would happen. Yeah, like, and the same thing can be said about the boxer. I mean, that thing, you hold it between your legs and twist, and you're going to have yeah. torsional that flex. That is, I, I've ridden the RS1 extensively. I've raced it extensively. There is no torsional twist strength no. issue with that fork. No, It, it steers into a corner like a rigid carbon fork. Yeah. It's freaking like, amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. I have yes. RS1 on my ASRC. Uh, lots of alphabet soup going on here, but I have that one on my bike, that fork, and in 120 mil, that thing is the best fork I've ridden. So, and and I am very particular about suspension settings after years of racing motocross and dialing in things and being very particular about that. And we're talking spending a week testing just compression or just high speed compression on my fork. We're not talking about low speed compression. We're not talking about rebound or anything else or oil, weight of oil, springs, all that stuff. I'm very particular about that. And this is the first fork that I feel like has some of the good stuff from motocross transferred over to it. Yeah. Your wheel tracks so well on the ground. Um, it has the fore and aft stiffness is so strong. And you don't realize that you have a lot of flex going on until you ride that fork. And then it's just, it's so stiff. It's an awesome fork. And also, this is something that's probably bad for me to admit, but I have not serviced that fork. And I have now had that bike for a year and it is, and put a lot of time on it. It's functioning perfectly. And that usually you, because I had problems early. You on. did. Oh yeah, I had to have it. I blew it out in the first five days I owned it. Hmm. Well, it's a good thing you know people. And that's yeah. and the thing is that that's a common thing that you hear. A lot of people have service issues. So with they took it. care of it. Yeah. Sram took care of it. No they problem. always do. Yeah. yeah, and so that's I guess in my case I haven't even had that issue. Now, granted, I I am anal about the cleanliness of my bike and I clean it very well after every ride. And if you just leave a bunch of dirt on there or mud or something, yeah, it'll mess up some seals, but. Um, I've been really impressed with the durability too. So I can't recommend that fork highly enough. It's really good. It's a good one. If you can afford it, because it is not cheap. Not cheap. Buy it. My recommendation is buy that fork on a, a bike that it's OEM spec'd on. Yes. And Do not buy it solo because it is too expensive. But you can you can get a bike on closeout with an RS1, then it's worth it. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, I don't think it's worth it. The only, so cost aside, the only downside of owning one that I see is, and this is overblown, but if you're doing some type of a wheel change or taking the wheel off, it's a pain. It's annoying because the Dude, lugs twist. It's a, it's a pain. Yep. It's a pain. Having said that, and I'm speaking to all the XC guys that just because Nino Schurter does something or somebody else does something, they think they have to do the same thing. To that guy, you don't do wheel changes that much. No. You don't have to worry no, about it. Of course it. not. No. <laughs> so like, yeah. that's why you see a lot of those guys running a standard fork is because they're in, they have a whole crew of people ready to change a tire and they're running super thin tubulars and they're constantly flatting on courses and money's on the line and everything else. For those of us that aren't in that situation, really ask yourself, how often have you pulled into the pits, had a quick wheel change with wheels sitting there and somebody to help? It's probably... If it's one in a hundred, I'd be surprised. Yeah. So yeah, and if you think a thirty six or if you think a an RS one is hard to change a wheel on, you should probably try a thirty six RC two with its four five millimeter bolts. That would be <laughs> yeah, yeah. That would be that would be yeah. a pain. Uh, second question: carbon frame or carbon wheels? XC racing in mind. 
Carbon frame. Carbon yeah, I think frame. we just discussed that. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Carbon, carbon frame, frame. Harmonic damping. Aluminum wheels. Aluminum okay. wheels. Yep, all the way. Um, Masha, and I believe that's how I say the name, or how you say the name, and I apologize if not. Uh, hello, do you guys think it is possible to be a good climber and not live in a mountainous area? I think so. I don't know. You're the trainer guy. Yeah, I think so. Um, cl- yeah, go ahead. Kurt. What are his dimensions or her dimensions? <laughs> it's, I think it's, it's Machek. Is Maček? that how you, how you pronounce it? Uh, yeah, let's Croatian, go with that. maybe. Yeah, yeah, that sounds Croatian to me. <laughs> We're talking five feet eleven and one hundred ninety-four pounds. That's so we're a little we're looking, lighter than me. 182 centimeters and 88 uh, kgs for those. That's days. that's almost my dimensions. Yeah. And uh, it's tough to be a good climber and not live in a mountainous area being those dimensions. It's tough. It's you tough. Got physics work. You got to work at it every single day, man. Yeah. Every single day. So there are a couple things at play. <clears throat> Basically, everyone also this is super common and we talk about this all the time on the Trainer Road podcast. The most common question we get is somebody says, like, how do I get better at climbing? And it comes down to two simple things. You need sustainable power and you need lightweight or you need to be as light as you can. Right. That's what makes a good climber. But to be honest, it's just sustainable power. It comes down to that. And then you do what you can with your weight. Yeah. If you weigh a lot, but you have really high sustainable power, you your power to weight ratio is probably going to be pretty darn good and you'll still be able to climb really well. So that's the one thing I think that if you are talking about trying to become a good climber and not in a mountainous area. If you work on 10 minute, 15 minute, 20 minute power, like just being able to sustain as much as you can for longer durations, you're going to have the ability to, to out climb a lot of people, even light guys that can sprint off super hard and act like they're getting a gap, but then they pop sustainable power is key. So coming from when I used to ride compu trainer a lot more, we'd be sitting there on 4% grades, which isn't really that much. Right. And I'm struggling to hold four watts per kilo at 450 watts yep. for 10 minutes straight. Yeah. And 130 pound guys are pulling five and a half watts per kilo for the same amount of time. And they're not as winded as I am. Yeah. Weight's tough. Weight's weight, tough. Weight's tough. It's a tough one. Um, the good news is usually if you're carrying more weight due to a bigger frame and 5'11 isn't exactly a, a huge person, but at the same time, 5'11's not a small person. No. Um, in that case, if you're carrying around strength, you could probably put out a lot of power yeah. and that could help. And it's all mass at that point. That's really what matters. And he's yeah. 10 so pounds lighter than me. as much of that to lean mass as you can, you'll be better off. Yeah. So uh, he's, he's Polish, by the way, it's a Polish name. Ah, good Polish. research. Sorry. I don't want to, yeah. I don't want to. Yeah. Yeah. We don't want to say that Maszek. Croatian, Croatian guy. Yeah. He's yeah. Pol- that would have been Polish nice. Name. He could be Croatian. Yeah. Polish name. I don't know. True. Let's just, let's just <laughs> quit while we're ahead. Yeah, exactly. Uh, he says, I also have a special question for Steven. Do you have any tips for someone who is preparing for his first enduro or first serious enduro competition? I did one this year, but this was just for fun. Now I want to prove something to myself. And he says, sorry for my English guys. You guys are awesome. No need to apologize. Thanks no. for sending in the question. We're apologizing for our terrible. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Go ahead. Honestly, Really, with Enduro being a heavier rider, the biggest thing you have to worry about is that burst interval strength. Mm-hmm. When you're in segment and you hit those short, punchy climbs, yep. being able to just kick it on and put a thousand watts down for you know the twenty to forty seconds, and then do that again, and then stay on it when it levels out or gets into a descent mm-hmm. again, and then get right back into that thousand watts for fifteen to thirty seconds. So, the big thing is heavy, hard intervals. Yeah. Uh, for enduro racers, in terms of in terms of training, we talked about this with Amy Morrison. It's the ability to. It's the opposite of working on being a solid climber, 
what you're really going to be working on there is the huge amount of power and then limited amount of rest and then repeating that effort and doing that over and over again. That's the type of, if you're to graph the effort of a race, but also a lot of total body strength really helps. And you have to have a really dynamic uh, body in that case. But also when we're talking about just tips in general, I think that enduro is a good example of a race or of a racing format where you're really punished for your mistakes because it, it's there's not a lot of time. It's no. not like a looping XC race. Yeah, um, you're really punished for those mistakes. So you really have to keep like a, a scanning eye on further out on the trail, so yeah. you know what's coming your way and don't be focused right in front of you. I mean, that's general mountain biking, but you want to keep it scanning further out, yeah. you know, seconds ahead of you, and just use your peripheral to get through what's right ahead of you. Enduro is a great example of go slow to go fast or to go faster. Yeah. Oh yes, I will totally agree with that. Yeah. yeah. It really is. You can get in over Smooth your Smooth as fast. Yep. Um, news stuff. Let's go into that. And we'll cover these ones pretty quick. But uh, I was listening to the Lance Armstrong podcast, uh, the Ford podcast. It's a good one. He was listening to ours the other day too, I think. I'm sure he was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He loves it. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, but he said that he, Christian Vandeveld and which and George Hincapie, which if you followed road racing from back in the day, the, they were all on the same team on Postal. Um, that they're going to race the 24 hours of old Pueblo, which is an Epic rides event. Talk about them before. It's a cool race. It's like the burning man of bike events. Yeah. I've, it's pretty awesome. I've had it on my list two years and this is always a crazy time of year for work for me and I haven't been able to make it. Um, have you done it before? I've Kurt? done it a couple times. And what's it like? Uh, what's Lance yeah. and these guys, what are they up for? Um, my recommendation is those guys just need to go out there and have fun. Yeah. Do not focus on trying to win. And I bet that's you're exactly gonna, you're going to make do. a lot more. There's going to be some haters out there mm-hmm. straight up. Yeah. Which is fine. Yeah. But I think, I think they get it. Like their goal is to just go out there, meet people, shake hands, have fun, turn some laps and just have a good time. Cause that's what the old Pueblo is about. Yeah. It's about being out in the desert on a beautiful February, you know, mid February day where like most of the country's under 10 feet of snow yeah, and just have fun and just get out on the bike and don't hit any cactus. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you do not want to hit a jumping choy out there. Yeah. It'll ruin your day. <laughs> I, I think it's pretty rad that they're doing this. Lance is competing in an event, which I'm grateful. Number one, to have events that aren't USAC sanctioned yeah. that give somebody like him the chance to compete. Yep. Yeah. Definitely. It's pretty cool. Um, and I think it's cool to see legends in the road going over and just wanting to have fun. Cause I, I'm yeah. sure that's their objective. That's their objective. I yep. think they're just there to have yep. fun. Um, and I think I really, so the Lance deal, he's polarizing. He was a jerk. Yes. He cheated. Yes. We get it. But at the same time, but he lied about it too. And he lied about it. There I'm were some things that it. are unforgivable, but, yes. but at, you know, at one, at some point, it's just like if if the guy wants to come out and have fun, let him. Just let him come out and have and, fun. And man. how many you know? times have we screwed up like that I too? I, I, you know what I mean? Like, so I mean, at like, some point, what what's the old saying? Duck off of water's back or something? Yeah, something yeah. like that. Where we should be to that point. And I, yeah. he hasn't I, killed anyone. Like, yeah, it, these people who he are raised be at so this event, he raised millions for cancer. Like, yeah, I mean, the people <laughs> that are going to be at this event. Yeah, Lance did not. You know steal their firstborn child. Yeah. So yeah. quit acting like he was the yeah. best of all the cheaters. So <laughs> exactly. just 
get over it. Have fun. If he's having fun and you're having fun, have a beer with the guy. Yeah, have fun with like, him. Cheers, it, brother. If you listen, let's have fun. Let's if you listen bikes. to his podcast, he's just a real dude. And I think that I've just what you said there. I bet he's going to be making friends out there. And yeah, so pretty cool. Good to see. On a sad note, uh, Andrew Cho, the GT marketing manager, um, was recently paralyzed, but it was a freak accident. It wasn't. It wasn't even. It wasn't even bike related. Yeah, it wasn't even bike related. It was a blood vessel <sighs> that expanded and put so much pressure on his spine that it actually paralyzed. That's scary. Just, Is that related to a previous injury? I wonder. I don't know. That wasn't indicated, but just pretty terrifying stuff. Yep. So um, thoughts and prayers certainly are, are focused on that. But man. And CSG and GT's video was pretty cool that they put together for it him. It was. Just everybody saying get well soon. It was really good. So if you have some time to spare or anything else like that, I'm sure shooting Andrew a, a note would be well received. So these are tough times, I'm sure. Uh the next point, uh, the old Rampage, Rampage site is for sale for oil and gas. I saw this on Pinkbike. Um, sheesh. Uh, I think this is a good time to talk about trail usage and, and rights and, and everything else like that. First of all, that sucks to see that. Because if you've ever been to southern Utah, I know that I guarantee you somebody has just said, oh, well, it's just a vast desert. <clears throat> Who cares? That is one of the most beautiful areas of the country. Southern Utah is amazing. Um, this is a bummer to see, and the good news is you can write in to your congressman, to a congressman there in Utah as well, uh, even if you're not from the state, write in and show your opposition to this if you do feel that way, for sure. Um, I want to take a quick time, really quick, to talk about the the Sustainable Trails Coalition and Human Powered Travel in, Wilder in Wilderness Act. If any of you haven't seen anything about this, basically... There's a bike ban, and it's old, right, Kurt? I mean, we're talking... It was officially put into place in 84. And this ban basically doesn't allow anybody to use bikes. There's specific words to it, but it doesn't allow us to ride a bicycle inside wilderness areas, defined wilderness areas. Or wilderness study areas, which are basically like on the track to become wilderness areas. Gotcha. So we have wilderness here in Reno. Uh, we have the Mount Rose Wilderness that's right in at the in the foothills of the, of the valley. And I'm sure that everyone listening to this podcast has ridden near or uh, or lives near wilderness. I I think that all of us that ride mountain bikes can attest to the fact that we don't tear trails up. We usually treat them pretty well. Our bikes tread pretty lightly too, which is great. Um, they aren't a horse, that's for sure. They don't tear things up. Um, but it looks like, I mean, the Sustainable Trails Coalition, that's the first real, um, I think, organized movement that's had momentum to re-examine this bike ban and hopefully turn it over. And I think that we should, if you feel so inclined, I, I think that if you don't feel so inclined, send us an email and hopefully we can have, an, have a good conversation about that. But we can support this and we can actually overturn this. It'd be pretty cool, right? It can happen. Yeah. It will happen. I'm going to put money on it. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Yeah. As far as the the 100% ban on bicycles in wilderness, where bicycles were originally allowed in wilderness for the first 20 years, mm -hmm. um, it was the workings of a few political interests that swayed Forest Service you know, officials to just do it because mountain biking was its, in its infancy and they just wanted to stop these special interest groups from nagging them. 
Yeah. So they just, and they were probably on the side of these special interest groups and just said, yeah, we'll just ban bikes. Yeah. Done. But, you know, in relation to this oil and gas thing in Utah, I mean, that's not wilderness, nope. right? But it's a little disconcerting because, you know, it's the gateway to Zion. Yep. And Zion, I think, is one of the most underrated national parks. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's like, it's like Yosemite in the Southwest. Yeah. It's unbelievably beautiful. And, <clears throat> you know, a lot of people, you know, don't agree with like the rampage and what the image they're putting off for the, for the image of the sport. And I got to agree, like we are our own worst enemies when it comes to public image. <laughs> yeah. Like if we're trying to gain access to wilderness, man, don't show them. Our, our, yeah. Our, yeah. Our <laughs> opponents can just pull up a rampage video and be like, this is what mountain biking is. Yeah, exactly. And so, but the rampages happen on private land. Yep. And they can do what they want on private land. So I respect that. But in regards to this land being up for sale for oil and gas, it's tough, man. Utah, you know, I struggle with Utah. Mm-hmm. I was just in Salt Lake City. They have the worst air quality among Terrible. the worst in the world. Terrible. Like some days are worse than China. Yep. It's bad, man. It's bad. And the the public elected officials in Utah aren't listening to the people. There are a lot of people in that state who... You know, there. He moved to Utah generally because you love the outdoors and you yes. want to be outside. And it's there's incredible, incredible yeah. outdoor opportunities, recreation, and so we're on a we're. It's kind of a tough situation we're in with the with this human powered travel and wildlands act. It was introduced by Orrin Hatch and Mike Lee, senators from Utah. Yep. And people are like, "You're sleeping with the devil." Yeah. Like they're the devil. Like they want to sell the entire state for exploitation and it's like well what are you gonna do i mean a democratic senator probably isn't going to introduce this legislation because they're owned by special interests on the conservation side yeah yeah so it's it's a man can do a good thing and a bad thing and i think that's something that's important for people to remember yeah you know and and really it doesn't turn into you you know i guess supporting a, a specific individual but you just look at issues and weigh them and then you support you know, whatever action you see needs to be done in that, with that issue. And yeah, this is, it's pretty disconcerting what could happen there in Utah with privatizing all that land and selling it off like that. But, uh, you know, I think that if we just focus on what we can do locally for those that aren't in Utah too, all of us can write our congressmen. We can all show our support for the phone calls. Yes. Phone calls work. Yeah. You can call them up because to be honest, I know some congressmen and they have so many issues that come across their desk, they have no point of relation to it. Yep. And and they don't get any type of feedback from the public. So how are they supposed to, to react to that, right? They, they don't have the time to become educated on all this stuff, so they need to rely on us. But if we don't tell them, they're not going to know. They welcome phone calls. And, and yeah. I know in this modern generation, we don't call and talk on the phone with anyone anymore because we just text. But phone calls work. Yeah. So if this is a matter that's near and dear to your heart, do the research, find the people to call, make the phone call. Yes, do it. Um, we're all in support of it. Can I Can I be lighthearted for a second? Please. People should look at the first comment it, on the Pink on Bike the Pink article. Bike? Is it pretty good? It's pretty epic. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to read all it out? The no, we just need people to go see it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, the next one, uh, let's just rip through these ones really quick. Uh, Scott Sports and Velo Solutions joined forces in 2017. So here's why that's interesting. They used to be 
Stad Scott. I don't know if that's how you say it, say it, but G S T A A D Scott. Um, this is a trend I'm seeing all over in the mountain bike world, basically sponsors that are outside the industry at all or anything else like that. But, but supporting sponsors are, are, are hightailing it out of there. That's pretty common. In fact, even with, uh, the Scott Odlo XC team, Nino Scherter's team, they left. Odlo it's now left. Sram Scott. Yep. Sram Scott. So I don't know how much Sram is paying for that, but when you have a company like Odlo, that's like a, an apparel company, um, that's non-endemic or perhaps adjacent, but that company is probably putting in a good amount of cash, I would assume. So it's kind of worrisome to see, but just the same, uh, it's cool to see Claudio Calori's company jumping in somehow. I'm sure that's just Claudio's foot in the bill and he's saying I might as well put my own company on there. So good on you, Claudio. Uh, uh, 2017 EWS entries are opening next week. So by the time you hear this podcast, it will be just in a couple days probably. Um, Just exciting it's a lottery if people don't know yeah um you can get a ticket and then you get to place that ticket where you want more or less which is pretty sweet um pretty cool thing andrew needling retired uh it more or less sounded like he just found himself without a ride but also at the same time was kind of okay with moving on yeah so um kudos andrew needling on an awesome career and caroline schausen also signed with comensal at this point i'm expecting kurt and you to sign with comensal because i think everyone in the mountain bike industry has signed with them in the past few months did, did you get a ride with comensal this year no but i have one i have a jersey of theirs from like 1996 and it's pretty cool yeah. <laughs> is it neon no, it was colors? a long sleeve like winter riding jersey that my mom bought for me when I was when I was younger, and I, and I was like, "What does this say? I don't even." Know. That was back when Cummins saw like yeah. didn't exist in the United States. I'm like, this is like some crazy like high end French stuff. I don't know what this is. This is cool. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, the Track Factory Racing announced their team across all the different disciplines. Lewis Buchanan's doing enduro. Katie Winton and Casey Brown too kid named Anton Cooper. It's super fast. Um, he is racing for them on the XC side of things. Same with Sergio Manticon Gutierrez. He's also racing for them. Emily Batty. Emily Batty out of Canada. She's pretty she's awesome. awesome. She's man. a ripper. She's fourth awesome. in Rio this year. Um, yeah, I think so. Fourth in Rio. She's, yeah. she's awesome. Man. And yeah. also she's genuinely friendly. Very nice person. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. If you see her like sea otter, she was there last year, everything else. I saw every little boy crushing and going up to her like with a with an autograph or with a poster to get autographed. And she just had a conversations with people. She was so cool. So she's a, just a normal human, good human. A small human, but normal. Small, yes, yeah. but good human. <laughs> we got the Athertons in the DH world, all three of them. All three of them? Yeah. Yep. So uh, is it too early to already call the world championship for Rachel? No. No. I mean, you can say it <laughs> yeah. if you want. I mean, it's... I think it's already decided, man. Yeah. Uh which had nothing against anybody else. We've talked about this before. She's just exceptional. Um, yeah. Nico Mullally's on YT, so he'll be there with, with Gwyn. In the mob. Mm-hmm, in the mob, um, which I always find funny because, I mean, I guess I don't know what YTHQ is like, but YTHQ here in Reno, if you go in there, it's like the nicest dudes. Yeah. It's like the furthest thing from like, when I see mob, I think like metal militia, like flat bills, like dicky shorts with like some tall socks. Like, you know what I mean? Like you I clearly, just, you clearly haven't seen Cam Zink's truck. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty broke. <laughs> <laughs> Love you, Cam. Yeah, it's pretty broke, but 
they're all just like the most non-mob dudes you could ever imagine. Yeah. Super cool. And gals too. Um, and then Nate Hills posted up for any of you that likes good YouTube stuff and just mind bending riding that we all wish we could do. He did a best of 2016 and it's pretty awesome. Uh-huh. And he also got a gimbal and a dog harness, yes, which is pretty sweet. Yeah. So, so now it's the follow Nate follow dog riding. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which I have a dog harness and I have a gimbal. So I have the a dog, dog harness, harness too. We can in. put one on moose and he's big enough. He could follow us. Not that he would. He'd just lay down and sleep. <laughs> just lay down, yeah. <laughs> Such a lazy animal. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Now let's get into some some meat really quick. Because, um, geez, we already pushed an hour, man. That went I told quick. you. I know. God. We're going to try to keep these two an hour. Sorry, folks. Sorry, Scott. McLean. Yeah. Called to creation. Yes. Um, Kurt, a few things really quick. I don't know what your involvement is with Yuba Expeditions, which Downeyville falls in Yuba County. Correct? Is that Sierra, right? Sierra County. Sierra County. Yep. Um, but Yuba refers to the general area? The Yuba River. Yuba River. North Yuba goes right through Downeyville. Yes. Yep. So um, it's a, it's obvious a lot of people have heard about Downeyville. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we can really explain what is so great about Downeyville. You just got to experience it. You can more or less find out by looking. It's like stepping into a window. It's like stepping through time back to the 1850s and the frontier gold rush of California. That's You've, what it's like. You found, what did you, I remember you found something like. Found a, a bottle. A relic. 18, like it was, um, because it was a pontal bottle, which means that it was uh, blown on a, on a glass rod. Um, the way the bottom of the bottle was, it's dated between 1848 and 1856. And I found that at an abandoned mining camp while I was out exploring on my bike. Wow. I feel like this is the antique show right now. I would say, did you get that valued (laughs) on antique room? Yeah, no, it's like, no, (laughs) no, I just checked eBay. It's like, like, because it's a very identifiable bottle because it was a a liniment bottle, which liniment was like, like a, um, an ointment that you spread on your, Mm. your, your body to like relieve like sore muscles and stuff. And, um, but it was spelled incorrectly. So it was liniment is L-I-N-A-M-E-N-T, and this said L-I-N-I-M-E-N-T. So it was kind of, it was a misspelling. So this was a- Makes it even cooler. Yeah, well, and it also helped locate where this thing was made because it was spelled incorrectly, right? So it was made somewhere in like the mid-Atlantic, Ohio, Pennsylvania area in 1848 to 1856. So this was most likely a bottle of one of the original settlers of Downeyville who came from the East Coast and- just drop the bottle. Like so cool for bottle hunters. Downeyville is um, like the last frontier because all the valuable bottles have been found in like San Francisco and Oakland and all, you know, like, cause they've been excavating buildings, old buildings and sites and rebuilding. So when they excavate, they'll find all this stuff. But in the La Sierra where the epicenter of the gold rush was in Downeyville, there are all these communities, these old mining communities that don't exist anymore. They're and gone. been back. And nobody's been back. Yep. And so there's these old communities that are just under, you know, 150 years of dirt and the mm-hmm. bottles are there. Yeah. You just have to know where to look and you know have to know what to look for. Pretty cool. Yeah. The place is amazing. It's more than just like a... So um, I might offend some people that love Moab. And Moab's cool. It's pretty one-dimensional in a lot of ways. Yeah. Like it's... I feel like if you go to Moab... You could probably, I mean, sure. Like, I mean, Nate Hills obviously spends a lot of time there and has a lot of fun. Um, but I feel like most people, you could get all your kicks that you need to get in a short amount of time yeah. and you run out of things to to do on the bike there, 
But the cool part about Downeyville is it's like a story every time you ride. Like absolutely, you get to access places that you simply can't access and people don't even know that are there. Yep. I've been going to Downeyville for four years and I'm just starting to explore some of the stuff that Kurt, you know, has been telling me about. Yeah. It's pretty cool. I've barely scratched the surface. Would you say? Barely. Yeah. Scratched. You guys did empire, right? We did empire. Yeah. So empire is a classic. It's go, well, yeah, going up it sucks. Oh, down the it. The thing was, is, you yeah. can't you can't get a shuttle to the top of Empire unless you're with me in a crawler truck. Like you got to have a capable. Or in Weir's okay. Deuce and a Half. If I don't even know if Weir's Deuce and a Half would make it up. Uh, oh, red, no, um, no, it wouldn't make it up that road. My forerunner, Mike. Red your forerunner. All of this talk oh, yeah. means big tires and and capable vehicles. Your truck. Yeah, for those that are wondering. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but no, the thing about Downeyville is that Sierra County is the only county in California that has fewer people living in it now than it did in 1860. It doesn't have one traffic light in the entire county. And they like it that way. Yep. There's only about 3,200 people that live in Sierra County. And there's a kind of a no growth mindset there. Mm -hmm. It's good and bad. It's good and bad. It's good because it's preserved. It's like it was back then, you know, um, the locals, I just, they're just salt of the earth people, man. They're hard people. A lot of them have been there since the beginning. They're, rel- you know, they're relatives and, and mm-hmm. ancestors. Um, and so when they hear, you know, and a lot of people who come to Downeyville, they're just looking to get on the shuttle, man, and go to the top of Packer Saddle and bomb to the bottom. And that's cool. Like, especially if you've never been there before, I recommend that. But yeah. after a few times, you start to like ask yourself, all right, Downeyville, because the big thing is people are like, I like Downeyville, but there's just not enough trails. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Dude, there's so many trails out there. They just don't know because yeah. you have to earn it. Yeah. Like yeah. in Downeyville, you have to earn every single descent and yeah. like fully earn it. And yeah. that's why like now I'm starting to see these past couple seasons, seeing more and more people like Stan Jorgensen and Ryan Gardner, right? These guys, these enduro guys who are like rippers. Yeah. They discover Downeyville and they're like, oh, I need to come here more. It's yeah. going to make me a better rider because I got to climb 4,000 vertical feet to get to the descent. Yeah. Which is only nine minutes, but it's the best nine minutes. Oh, no, it's more than that. Well, so <laughs> Empire was what, 11 minutes, 12 minutes? The, from the single top? track. Well, yeah. yeah. So the single track portion of Empire, maybe 10 to 15, 15 minutes. Okay. I would say. Okay. But yeah, it's going to be one of the best 15 minutes of your life. Yeah. It's yeah. amazing. Other than third divide at warp speed, but that gets boring. Yeah, and third divide's no good in the middle of the summer when it's been brake bumped to hell and yeah. it's just dusty. Well, no. yeah. And while Empire, right, because yeah. nobody rides it except motos, yeah. is money all year because yep. nobody rides it. Yeah. yeah. And that's the thing I think that's cool about Downeyville is you can get you can get years of mileage out of that place. And, and I don't mean that literally. I mean that you can go back to that place and still find new trails. You can still have new experiences. That's what's cool about it. Yeah. And, you know, anchor your question in the beginning of this, and you talked about keeping things fresh. It's kind of a cool place for that because it is. you can keep exploring, keep finding new things. So, so what do you do there? Do you do you are you a guide? No, so we don't we don't have a guiding service yet. We've been on the fence about this. You know, we've talked about having a guide service. The problem with Downeyville is that if I'm going to do a guided service there, it's going to be no holds barred kind of guiding. Like you better show up fit with a capable bike with all your gear ready to go on an all-day debacle that's going to push you mentally and, and physically. And that be the type of person, too, that's okay if you 
if you're still stuck out there and it's dark and you have to, you got to be ready. Yep. (laughs) You got to be ready and you can't cry for mommy and call for, you know, a shuttle to pick you up. Yeah. And so no, no surgeons from the Bay area just coming up for a weekend. No. Yeah. (laughs) Ride the shuttle. Exactly. It it would be, if it was a guided service, it would be in my mind now, like this is something that I just, cause that's Downeyville, man. Downeyville is just different and it requires like a certain proficiency and ruggedness and, and willingness to just, suffer. Yeah. Um, but you'll be rewarded. Like you'll be greatly rewarded. It'll be the time of your life. Um, but what I do at Yuba is generally in the summertime, I, I've kind of fallen into just driving the van because we have some, you know, Evan and John, Evan and, uh, Ames and John Palmer, my boys, those guys are amazing mechanics. Amazing. And so they handle the shop. And then my boy Mason, he's, he runs the shop. Um, and so you know, I just drive the van. And there's nobody better than you and Billy. Like you and Billy Epps Billy are like Epps, the man, perfect That guy, he, he's born and raised in Downeyville. Yep. So, and he's in his early 50s. And so that guy has some stories the day is long. Yeah. Uh, and people love riding with Billy because he'll just give them a full lowdown on the whole place. And you That's can feel cool. the authenticity, right? It's right. not like. It's real. <laughs> it's real. It's real. And Billy's just funny. I mean, he's the guy's a, funny a comedian. Dude. Yeah. Right. He's always got a one-liner. Yeah. But so for me, yeah, I just drive the van. I have a blast meeting people and cause you get 45 minutes of undivided attention pretty much. Right. That's and cool. so you can talk to people and find out where they're from and how they found about Downeyville. And, um, and just the, I'm, I'm pumped, like doing laps up the mountain every all day, like four or five laps a day, seeing people ride. Cause I get my fill. I'll go ride after work, you know? Yeah. Um, and then for the Sierra Buttes trail stewardship. So Ube Expeditions is a bike shop that operates under the Sierra Buttes Trail Stewardship, which is a nonprofit um, dedicated to building and maintaining all the trails in the Downeyville, so Sierra County and Plumas County. Yep. Um, and all the profits that we make from that bike shop go back to the stewardship for trails and for employing awesome. local people. Yep. You know, recreation is one of the last economies in, in the West for remote mountain communities like Downeyville. Mining's been outlawed. Logging has been pretty much outlawed. Like recreation's it, man. Yeah. And the stewardship focuses on employing local people to build trail, to run the shop, to do all the things that we do, put on events. You know, we put on the Downeyville Classic. We put on the Lost and Found Gravel Grinder. And we put on the I'm Grind doing, the Grinder. We're doing all three of those this year. Yeah. In fact, our CEO Here, and our head coach, we're all three of us are doing The them. Triple Crown? Yeah, we're doing it. Right on, man. It's going to be good. The Triple Crown is a true test of a well-rounded rider. You have totally. to be fit. You have to be a good mountain biker. You have to be a good, like, you know, like road, I guess like road fitness. Yeah. Cause the, the, gra- the lost and found a hundred mile gravel grinder. It's no joke, man. It'll yeah, break brutal. you. Who took the triple crown last year? I think for I the pros. Yeah. Carl Decker. Who took it for non-experts? For level. old expert guys? Yeah, who took it? I think moderately I old expert oh, guys. Oh, you did, Kurt. Yeah. That's right. I yeah. might have. Yeah. Yeah. Well done, man. If we were, if we were like a radio show, I'd insert claps right now, <laughs> so you can just hear that in your ears, claps. Um, so, I guess if somebody wants to go to to Downeyville, I feel like they could get a lot of information. Um. They, they have a lot of things to, to learn and to understand and where to go and where to talk to. So if I was didn't know anything about Downeyville, yeah. 
Um, how would you recommend I start in planning a trip there or planning my time there? What, what would you recommend I do? Should I just talk to the shop or how do I get in touch with them? Or is there yeah. a place online where I can find information? Well, there's two shops in town. You got yeah. Downingville Outfitters and you've got UB Expeditions. Um, which, you know, we, we always push business to each other. There's plenty of business for both businesses yeah. to exist. Um, but, you know, Yuba is the bike shop that operates under the stewardship. So everything that we do goes back to trails. Which is the only shop I'll use. Just because of my morals on There you go. There's some people yeah. who the only shop they'll use is DVO, and that's cool. Like, it's yeah, all good. Like, I mean, they have a shop dog. That's their only benefit. Well, they've got life. a new facility now. <laughs> they're on main, they're going to be on Main Street next, starting next season. Oh, nice. Shop right dogs. next to um, the Mexican place, oh. a Cantina de Oro. Yep. Yeah, nice. So Ace and a Hole for shop dog, and then next to a Mexican place, another Ace and a Hole. The well, best but, Mexican but we've got place a shop in Downey 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 Downey. Oh, okay. Because John Palmer <laughs> and Janine, they got... They got Harry. If you have a taco dog, truck, so we got a shop dog. Now. Oh, if you have a taco truck, then you're winning all around. <laughs> yeah. You dialed. Well, but they have free beer at so, Yuba. Ooh. No, we don't have free beer. You buy a shuttle, and they might. No, no. How's that work? You got to make a donation to the oh, stewardship. Okay, okay. it's a, a donation. Sorry, yeah. it's for trails, man. Well, so you get a free beer if you give to the trails. <laughs> yeah. Can they? Can somebody <laughs> get information from the shop? Do they call? Up yeah. And- Yubaexpeditions.com. Yeah. Uh, and you can call. The best thing to do if you want to book shuttles is to book online. Yeah. But if you have questions about the trails or like if you're not sure, you know, call the shop. Um, you can ask for me if I'm there. I'd be happy to talk with you. Um, but anyone at the shop can give you like, you know, pointers on trails or, or whatever. But the best way is to book online. It's um, quicker, easier. You see it's what quicker and easier and you guarantee perfect. that you're going to get a spot. Yep. Um, and you got to pay in advance because, you know, yeah, people you will make reservations ahead. and not pay and then they show up or they don't show up. Um, and the thing is like, if you don't pay, you're off. Like, cause we fill up, um, Quickly. we've doubled in the past two years, more than doubled our shuttle business. Jeez. So it's great. Yeah. It's awesome. I mean, like we're blessed and we're in a magical place and people feel the magic and, um, it's just great to be there in the summertime, man. It really it's is. Wintertime, uh, it's a little... Cold. And it's a deep, damp. dark hole, man. Like, yeah. it'll be a 50-degree day, and it'll be 1 o'clock in the afternoon, there'll still be frozen grass. Yeah. It's The sun never really comes out in the winter, but, you know, in the summertime, it's magical. Yeah, incredible place. It really is. I, I think... So, we were going to talk to you about riding in the Toyabi. We're going to leave that for the next time you're on, because um, that was pretty cool. So... For all of you that are wondering, it was in the D or what month issue of Bike Mag? Um, the just the one previous to the Bible of bike tests that just. I think came it was out. December was the month of the issue, but it probably came out sometime around November. Maybe I'm not sure. Uh, no, it came out in December, so it would have been January. I think. Okay, cool. Yeah. So check that out. It's called Tempting the Toyabi, and we're going to get an inside look at that. I'm sure at some point because it's pretty cool. It's. I mean, when I was a kid, I used to look out the window and I used to always look at mountains and I used to think like double them with my hand, like it was a dirt bike, you know, but I always like let my mind wander to riding in those places. And you pretty much did that. You went to, to that place that you might think, you know, you couldn't ride and and you rode it. So cool story. Check it out in bike mag. It's in a bunch of other places too. Um, but, uh, we'll talk about it. We'll get some insight there. Um, the last thing that I wanted to talk about is our picks, picks. and then we'll close off with that. Um, I wanted to talk about my backcountry setup for skiing. And I know that sounds like it has nothing to do with riding, but it has a lot to do with riding. So 
it skiing, there is the normal alpine stuff that you do, the downhill stuff, the resort stuff where you just have normal ski boots and you clip into your skis and it's all normal. Um, that's good for, for riding bikes. It really is, uh, builds a lot of leg strength and it builds a lot of like lateral stability. That's good. I grew up with ski boots on my feet. My dad was a ski racer and a coach and I was racing skis my whole life. I got burned out on the resort life very quickly in my high school years and pretty much gave up skiing entirely. In the past two years, I've gotten back into skiing and the biggest difference in why I'm enjoying it is because I have a backcountry setup and it makes a huge difference on my bike. So basically... I have an Alpine touring setup that allows me to just switch some things on my bindings. Then my heels can lift up and then I just put some skins or basically it's unidirectional hair um, sheets on the bottom of my skis. And then that lets, that gives me traction going uphill skinning, skinning as they call it. And uh, you're able to basically hike on your skis and cross terrain that you wouldn't be able to cross otherwise with a lot of speed. Um, so you hike your way up and you ski down, you put those skins back on hike your way back up. And it makes it so you're not hauling a set of snow shoes around with you. Yeah, and it's like, if you're looking at winter time, it's usually something that people use to build aerobic base conditioning, right? So you're talking about not maximal effort, you're talking about the stuff where you're still- Long sustained endurance. And it's perfect for that because it takes a long time to get to the top of the mountain, at least here in the Sierra. Um, If you're in Michigan, you might have a trash heap and it might be really short, you know? But- um, it's, it goes by, you get a long time at that type of, I guess, level of activity that you need. It's really good for building lateral strength on the way down too. I love it. And I think that more riders, especially in Alpine environments, they should consider it. It's also like you're into it too, Kurt. I love backcountry. Yep. Because it's it, mountain biking. You're limited to the trail backcountry yeah. skiing. You're limited to what's safe given the avalanche conditions and where you want to go. Like if you see a peak and it looks awesome and you want to bag it, you can get up there. So cool. It's you can traverse awesome. terrain in a way that you've never. Yeah. You see areas that you'd never see on a bike. Totally. Yeah. Like just the other day I was up there, I posted this up on my Instagram channel, but I found a tree, massive tree, probably 60, 80 feet high, big old pine. And it was in a fire that was more than 20 years back. Mm-hmm. There was a fire in that area. This tree is still standing, not a single needle on it, and it's got a crack all the way down to the base, all the way to the top that's wide enough that you could fit your whole, both arms cool. in there. Yeah. And I'm sure nobody has seen that tree in the summer or anything else because there are no trails around, you yeah. know? And it's cool. You could see spots or squirrels that stash their little pine cones in there and nuts, and it's just, it's pretty cool. You can get lost within reason. You know, you can, you can just get into places you can never find. So that's my pick. Backcountry setup, it works for riding. Steven, your pick. I am actually excited about, since I'm stuck on a trainer right now because yeah. I have a possible torn ACL from skiing, <laughs> my second day skiing. back as my adult or in my adult life. He's like Jerry. He's like Jerry of the day. If you've ever seen that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I at least wear my helmet the correct Steven direction. Steven of the day. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, so, Steven. That wasn't nice. It's okay. Uh, so... I'm stuck on a trainer on my bike indoors and I've always had trouble with that. So mm-hmm. music to jam out to. Mm. Um, I was actually talking to Amanda Batty who she's a pro downhiller. Yeah. And on her Instagram, she had a story of, um, of her on her trainer talking about trainer days and she's listening to some Avenged Sevenfold. Yeah. And I was just, you know, I'm just really excited about different rock music to rock out to. Cause at the bike shop that I used to run with the compu trainer, um, 
systems that they have there with two banks of eight of them and team riding and all that mm-hmm. is the worst music ever. Like I still have nightmares about the roller skate song. And if you don't know the roller skate <laughs> song, don't. thank God, it's a terrible, <laughs> terrible song. <laughs> but you know, just uh, good music to jam out to while you're while so you're on are, your trainer. What are you listening to or what do you want to um, listen to? Last night I did my eight minute power tests, my FTP power tests on Trainer Road, and I just jammed out to Shinedown's new album. Nice. So that was that was what I was listening to last night. Um, I like uh, if I'm going on, I, I listen, I have a really wide <laughs> range of music that I like. And usually when I'm on the trainer, it's like electronic music, usually. Okay. Um, so <clears throat> different live sets from DJs and stuff. But one that I listen to pretty regularly, I listen to In Flames um, okay. or anything else that's that's heavier for sure. And it's got to have a fast beat to it. So I, I got to have like fast beat, heavy guitar riff or good drums rock. That's what I'll listen to. Yeah. So, um, really good stuff. I, I, I don't know, like anything, if you're like the type of guy that likes like a Treyu or something like that, that's yeah. good stuff. To or West Coast to, Gangster Rap. One of the two. Yeah. Well, on the topic of rap, yeah. my two picks for music lately, I just picked up Nas Illmatic, which was nice. a game changer for hip hop. Amazing yeah. album. Okay. Amazing. I can't believe it's taken me this long to get my hands on that album. And then the new tribe called quest. It's good. Thank you for your service or whatever. We'll take it from here. Great album. It's yeah. really good. Yeah. Yeah. Really good. I like it a lot. Um, yeah. Music That's makes the time cool. go by faster. I honest. And here's my, my, like, so when we're on the trainer, we think that, dude, this is going to be boring. I need to entertain myself. Right. And if you're the driven type of person, well, why else would you be on the trainer? Right. If you're, a driven, if you're a driven type of person, you're the type of person that would use a trainer you actually don't need to be entertained. You need a goal and that's entertaining enough. Yeah. Like you're a type A driven yeah. type of personality person. And if you have that goal, that's good. And I, whenever I train, I have my goal and that's what I have with the whole train road thing. I don't want to make it too promotional there, but I have music and that's it. And, yeah. and I'm set. That's all I need. Yep. You know, I don't need to distract myself with trying to make it feel like I'm outside or anything like that. So the other good thing would probably be listening to like a really good mountain bike podcast <laughs> be great. on the trainer. That you, might be entertaining you for most learn, people. Be entertained. Yeah. It'd be wonderful. And you get to hear my voice. My voice is amazing. I yeah. Hear. Face for radio. Good, yeah. I face guess. for radio. <laughs> Kurt, your, What's pick? your pick. My pick is, um, the Mavic cross max XL enduro shoe Ooh, my favorite shoe that shoe is money man like i have problems eating through shoes because like riding up in the lost sierra it's a lot of hike a bike a lot of sharp rock a lot of sharp sharp rocks they'll slice you up man like seriously shale dude razor it's not a carbon sole no (laughs) not a carbon sole place (laughs) you'll look like bambi on ice and a place that you know requires shoes that you can walk across boulders with without feeling like you're wearing ballerina slippers. Yep. Yep. And um the Crossmax XLs they have incredible tread on them. They're durable. Um they fit nicely. I have super wide feet, yep. so like right out of the box the Mavics were comfortable. Like they're mm-hmm. for wide feet. They have, they have a they're really good with a wide forefoot Mavic. Wide forefoot. Wide forefoot. Barely foot. narrow mm-hmm. heel box. Yep. Great yep. shoe. Excellent shoe, good price, looks good. Um, you've been converting people to them, Steven. They're good I shoes. Been, I've they're been seeing shoes. a lot of people use them and yeah. th- every single person I've seen loves them. Yeah. 190 bucks retail. They're a cheap shoe to own. And they're, yeah. and they don't delaminate. On they you. don't like a 510 <laughs> or Just other kidding. brands or other brands. <laughs> and now uh, like with that, I will wear that shoe out to, you know, 
half dinner? hour or dinner <laughs> after. You went to prom. Like, oh man, come on! <laughs> like seriously, like after a ride, I'm not won't. that good. <laughs> but I, I will, I'll leave that shoe on for like right, the opera the bike point. ride. You know, activity. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's that comfortable. It's a great they are. Shoe. No, they're comfortable. Yeah, they're comfortable. I mean, geez, they're comfortable enough to wear all day when you're hike a biking up yeah. a ginormous mountain. So yeah, yeah they're going to be hike now you, comfortable enough to drink beer. Do you with. have the yeah. black ones? I have the black one. Cause I have a black pair and I have the bright yellow pair. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, that's my style. Yellow ones are, Hey, yeah. Full loud or full stealth. Like, yeah. If you can pull off the yellow, do it. I can't. Sure. I don't hey, have enough yeah. yellow stuff to wear. So it doesn't, yeah. I'll give match. you one of my 14 Mavic jerseys. Don't worry. <laughs> okay. There <laughs> you go. That's a lot of them. That's true. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thanks for joining us guys and gals. Thanks for joining us, uh, this week. We'll be back next week with more. Please submit your questions. Go to mtbpodcast.com and please review the podcast. Share it with your friends. Honestly, sharing it with your friends is just as good as a review, if not better. So if you like something that we said, share it out and let it be known. Uh, We appreciate you being here, Kurt. Thanks a bunch, man. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. And Kurt's a local here in Reno, so we'll have Kurt back on occasionally, so it'll be good times. So, All right, guys. Thanks so much. Talk to you all next week. Have a nice day. guys jonathan here just wanted to thank you again for listening and let you know that if you like the song that you're hearing now and the one that you heard in the intro it comes from wave riders entertainment my good friend tommy walter check it out if you're looking for more beats like this or some awesome tracks to listen to we'll talk to you next week